0: Amen. God is so good. He is so faithful. Amen? Amen. And so we are looking at fitness for the soul this year as we have started in January. We'll go through the whole year with that being the central idea for the series this year. And we talked about worshiping Jesus as the first aspect of having a fit soul. And now we're in the process of looking at hope in Jesus. And we're really looking at uh, the life of Moses, at least the first uh, 14 chapters or 15 chapters or so, as we think about uh, uh, how we can have hope in Jesus as we see Moses in Exodus. So you, you may not know this, uh, but there's a big game tonight. I don't know if you all knew that or not. Uh, I don't have a team, uh, but I have two son-in-laws that are pulling for the Eagles. And so I'm weighing my options uh, right now. I'm pretty sure that each of those teams will not just show up tonight and do whatever feels good to them. Uh, I'm sure they both have a game plan. And they have likely studied their opponents. They've likely studied their weaknesses. They've likely studied their strengths, and they're planning accordingly. And I suspect that with their game plans, they probably also have contingency plans. If this doesn't go right, here's Plan B. And if I know, if, if I would ha- was able to guess, I would say they also have a Plan C in case that doesn't work right as well. But you know what? As we're thinking about this idea of hope in Jesus, that He has a plan know this, that God never has a plan B. God doesn't have a plan B. He has a plan, and it's going to be fulfilled exactly as He intends because His plans are perfect, His plans are good, His plans are right. And He doesn't have a plan B, but as we look at His perfect plan today from Exodus, we see His plan can be described with an A, a B. And a C. So we're going to look at Exodus 2, the whole chapter today. That's 25 verses, and I'll read that for you here in a moment. But if you're able and honor and reverence to the Word of God, would you please stand as I read the Word to us this morning? The Bible tells us in Exodus 2, Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as a wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months when she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch and put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. His sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him, and now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying." And she took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. And then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. And so the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away, nurse him for me, and I'll give you your wages. And so the woman took the child and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. And he looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And went out the second day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And he answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And then Moses was afraid, and he thought, surely the thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. And now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to to water their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to the father rule, he said, how is it that you've come home so soon today? And they said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him, that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son. He called his name Gershom, and he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And during those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word, and we pray, Lord, that you would take it now and apply it to our hearts and lives. Lord, we pray that for those here today that don't know Jesus, that don't know you, Lord, as the Savior and the Lord of their life, have no relationship with you, may this be the day of salvation. For those of us who do know you, Lord, may it be a time of revival and refreshing of our hearts and spirit. May you give us what we need today to feed us, to draw us, to grow us, to mature us in the faith as we know that you're faithful all the time. Lord, would you take this message? Lord, I am desperate for you to just use it for your glory. And I pray, Lord, that you'd have your way in every heart and life. Lord, may the words of my mouth, meditation, of my heart, Be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, As we look at this chapter today, we're going to see there's three points, and then you'll see that there are two to-dos that are listed there as well. And so the first thing that we want to see here is we think about hope in Jesus. He has a plan. First thing we need to understand is that it is an active plan. It's an active plan. So today, as we enter into Exodus chapter 2... Uh, We're introduced to the birth of Moses. And, And in his birth, we see the plan of God unfolding as he has a plan to deliver or to redeem his people. Remember, we talked about this last week some as well. But if you notice something as we look at these verses and see all that's taking place in these verses, you know, we go, there's 25 verses here, and you never see the name of God mentioned until you get to verse 23. there's a lot that's happening in verses 1 through 22, but you don't see God's name mentioned at all. And so you say, oh, pastor, well, how can you say that this was all part of God's plan when you can't even see his name in the first 22 verses? And here's what I would say to you. We do not see the name of God anywhere in those verses, but we see the the hand of God everywhere in these verses. Amen? We see the hand of God everywhere. And so that tells us God has an active plan, not because it's changing, but because He's active and He's working. And so we see, as we look at this passage of Scripture, we see the unseen active hand of God. Well, where do you see that, Pastor? Well, you see it all over the place in these first 10 verses especially. We see in verses 1 and 2, it tells us there was a man from the house of Levi who went and took uh, as his wife, a Levite woman, the woman conceived, bore son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. And we see the unseen active hand of God where he brought this man, this Levite, and this woman from the house of Levi together, and that through their DNA and the DNA of their ancestors, Moses would be conceived. I mean, that's the active hand of God, right? And then the unseen active hand of God has also caused her to conceive. And so the Lord is shaping and forming Moses in his mother's womb, knowing his end from the beginning. It is the unseen active hand of God. And then in verse 3, it tells us here that when she, his mother, could hide him no longer, she took, him, took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. And she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. So when we think about Moses when he was born and why this is happening and what's taking place here, you remember that at the end of chapter 1, Pharaoh had commanded all of his people that they were, were given permission that if they saw a Hebrew boy, they could cast that boy into the Nile River. And so really, Moses was born with a death sentence on him, right? Right? And so the Pharaoh, as we said, had commanded his people to cast Hebrew little boys into the Nile. And yet we see the unseen, active hand of God that has protected him over these three months. And can you just imagine how he's protecting him uh, from every person who is looking to kill a Hebrew boy? Can you imagine being the parents of a little baby during that time? Especially a baby boy. Because if you've had children in your house and babies in your house, you know That they don't sleep all night long. Can I get a witness? Right? Amen. They don't sleep all night long. And when they wake up and they're hungry, they don't raise their hand to say, I'm hungry. I mean, they're noisy little creatures, aren't they? We all are. All of us are. And so can you imagine trying to hide a crying baby in your village for three months and yet, the unseen active hand of God protected him from every person who was looking to kill him. And then the Bible says, when she couldn't hide him any longer, his loving mother then places him in a basket and places the basket in the reeds in the river. And here we can see the unseen active hand of God that shelters and keeps this little basket steady. Keeping this little basket steady and keeping him from crocodiles and wild animals. And, and I don't know if you know anything about little babies, but they don't stay still very long. And you can imagine that basket you know, had to, would have a tendency to overturn with him in it. But God, the unseen active hand of God, keeps that basket from overturning. And he keeps that basket from having the wrong people finding him as well. The unseen active hand of God. verses 4 and 5, we continue to see what's said here. It tells us here that and his sister stood, this Miriam, his sister, Moses' sister, stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. And now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. And she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. So here we see the unseen active hand of God again that caused Pharaoh's daughter to go down to the river at at just the right time, at just the right place to discover Moses. And this really is a risky moment, isn't it? What what is she going to do? She is Pharaoh's daughter, the one who has given the death order for all Hebrew boys that have been born, or baby boys that have been born. And so here she recognizes, the Bible tells us, that he is one of the Hebrew's children. She recognizes what, that he's a Hebrew child. And then verse 6, is the unseen hand of God here. In verse 6, we also see this. And rather, it says in verse 6 that she took pity on him. She took pity on him. So where does that come from? That comes from that pity that she felt for Moses came from the unseen active hand of God. That she would have pity on him. But also we see in verse 7 that Moses' sister is also at the right place. And so his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Now at this point, this is when the, the, the Pharaoh, Pharaoh's daughter could have said, Aha! I knew this was a trick all along. But that's not what transpires. And so while it is a risky moment here as well, and we wonder what will Pharaoh's daughter do, We see the unseen hand of God again, active hand of God, in verses eight and nine that says, And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And so the girl went and called the child's mother, Moses' mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, uh, Moses' mother, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. And so the woman took the child and nursed him. I mean, can you imagine? In complete defiance to her father's command, the Pharaoh's daughter determined to adopt this Hebrew child as her own. And Moses' sister goes and gets his mother and brings her back because Pharaoh's daughter says to do so. And the mother now is used by Pharaoh's daughter to take her own son and to nurse her own son and to raise her own son and get paid for it. Come on now. It is the unseen active hand of God. And in verse 10, we see these words. It says, when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. And here what we see is that Moses' mother was able to keep him long enough until he got older. And as she was able to keep him until he got older, this allowed him... To be bonded to his mother, to receive the basic spiritual instruction from her, and receiving from her what she needed, to, what she needed to instill upon him to learn to love God's people, to hear God's voice, and to respond to God's call. He would hear stories of their people that had been passed down from generation to generation, and so having him being able to be in her and her grip, if you will. It is the unseen active hand of God, all part of God's wonderful plan. Amen? Amen. God's wonderful plan It's active plan. God is active because he is active. And so we can see very clearly the unseen active hand of God because we know how the story is going to unfold. But beloved, here's what I want you to understand as we look at this passage of Scripture. And we've said this plenty of times before, but let's say it again here. There are times when we are in the midst of terrible situations. There are times we're in the midst of bad situations. There are times we're in the midst of awful times, and we don't know the rest of the story. But here's what we do know is that we can hope in Jesus because he is our Savior, he is our God, and he has a plan, and it is an active plan because he is actively at work. He is always actively at work. Even though we may not see it, beloved, his hand is guiding, his hand is directing, his hand is creating, his hand is shaping, his hand is moving, his hand is protecting, his hand is providing, his hand is active and so how does that apply to us well since he is God and since he is active then here's the thing beloved we can live by faith we can live by faith that's what we see in Moses' parents as a matter of fact when you go to that hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 we find his parents are listed there in that hall room of faith it says there in Hebrews eleven twenty three. 23, it says, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Beloved, let me ask you a question this morning. When you're going through the difficulties in life, we can either live by faith or we can live by fear. Moses' parents lived by faith. Do your children and grandchildren see you living by faith or living by fear? Because of who the Lord is, because he's our Savior, we can live by faith. Amen? They had faith because of their hope in God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You see, they had hope in the salvation that was to come. And so they trusted him with their son. As a matter of fact, when you read this story of what took place here, and it tells us in verse 3 that she took for him a basket, you know, the word basket there is the word ark. As a matter of fact, the only other time it's called an ark, that word is used as ark, is in the ark of Noah. And so it's only twice it's used here in the scriptures. For Noah and here, an ark. And so a Hebrew reader would read this and would recognize the basket is that ark and understand again that our God is a saving God and that you can hope in him. And now as we read this story, we understand that our hope is in Jesus, who is the son of God, and we can live by faith as our salvation has come. Our deliverer has come. This was indeed the plan of God. You know, we see this story and we're reminded That Moses was born with a death sentence, but also that Jesus was born with a death sentence. We remember in in Matthew chapter 2, that Herod ordered all the males in Bethlehem killed. Remember that? But I would also venture to remind you that not only did he have that death sentence, but Jesus also had another death sentence. That Jesus, the greater Moses, was born with a different death sentence on him. And that death sentence was ours. That's the death sentence he was born with. In Matthew 20, 28, the Bible tells us that even, Jesus says, even as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to give his life. He took our death sentence upon himself. So our salvation, our deliverance has come through Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and so we have hope in him. He has a plan. It's an active plan because he's an active God, and now we can live by faith. So hope in Jesus. He has a plan. It's an active plan, and secondly, it's a better plan. It's a better plan. As we come to this next section in verses 11 down to verse 22, we see here that Moses had a plan. Moses had a plan to be the deliverer of his people, but his plan isn't the way God intended. And so we look at verse 11 and 12 and see his plan unfold. It says, one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people, and he looked this way and he looked that way and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and he hid him in the sand. And we want to yell into our scripture, says, Moses, that was a terrible plan. That's a terrible plan. And so you think, well, how do you really know, Pastor, that Moses had a plan? Well, when you go to the New Testament and you remember how Stephen, when he was being questioned and he was before the Sanhedrin, the council and the high priest before he was martyred, the first martyr, Stephen, in Acts 7. And he gave a a history of the Israelites, and he talked about Moses in in a piece of that. And in verses 22 through 25, he says these words, And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. Verse 23, When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel, And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him in striking down the Egyptian. Verse 25, he supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. So Moses had a plan, it just wasn't God's plan. Moses had good intentions. The Bible tells us here that he went out to his people. He knew that they are his people, and the Bible says that he looked on their burdens. So he's identifying with his people, but also he, that he looked on their burdens means he saw with emotion, okay? And so he was connected to his people, and he supposed that he could just go out and that they would follow him, but he supposed wrong. You see, he was bright, and he was knowledgeable, and he was strong. As a matter of fact, he'd been taught all that the Egyptians were teaching, which would have been included things like mathematics and astronomy and architecture and medicine and law and diplomacy. And Moses would have learned all those things. And so Moses was smart. He's a 40-year-old in the seemingly prime of his life with all the knowledge of the Egyptians, but he was still not ready for the assignment that God had for him. And so, beloved, here's what we need to understand, that Moses had a plan, but he went in his own power, and he went in his own ter- on his own terms, and he got into trouble. You know, we may not make the same grave mistake that Moses did, but isn't his story too often our story? I may mean, we have good intentions, we may be bright, we may be strong, we think we're ready to go out and take on some great cause, but if we, if we go in our own power and on our own terms, we will fail miserably. Or we won't get the results we thought we should, or it won't have the in- eternal impact that God intends. And so what we learn here is that instead of trusting in our plan, and in our power and in our pride, instead, let's be desperate for Jesus. Let's be desperate for Jesus and yield to Him. And you say, "Well, well why, why, pastor, why do I need that? Why do I need to do that? Well, let me give you a little hint. God's plan is always better than your plan. Amen. God's plan is always better than your plan. You can, you can write that down because that's truth, all right? You know, as you see this story unfold here and he, gets, he, he uh, kills this Egyptian and, and they find out about it and then we see in verse 15, the Pharaoh heard about it. He sought to kill Moses. The Bible says that Moses fled. He ran. He ran from Moses and then the next thing we see here is that he sat down by a well. Now, don't you wonder? Don't you wonder what Moses was thinking when he sat down at that well. Maybe he's thinking, I thought I knew what to do. I thought, I thought they'd follow me. But now he's sitting down by the well. He's alone. He's been rejected. His leadership's been rejected. And he's also wanted for murder. So where do I go from here? Moses still had a lot to learn before he'd be ready to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And so we see him already getting the picture a little bit as you move into verses 16 and 17. I won't read those verses, but in those verses we see that as he flees Egypt, he comes to a well that there's some shepherds there who are harassing a priest's seven daughters. And what we find here is that he doesn't do what he did earlier where he killed a guy. Now he doesn't kill anybody, but rather he comes to their rescue and he helps them water their flocks. He's learning. You see, friends, that's exactly what happens over the next 40 years as he marries one of those daughters of the priest and and becomes a shepherd in Median. So here's what's happening here. During those 40 years, the Lord is teaching Moses what he needs to know for his next assignment. He still used him during those years, and he was with him, but he's continually shaping, he's continually molding Moses to be what he has called him to be. And so Moses was learning by faith. He was learning as the Lord was working in his life. Y'all with me this morning? You follow what I'm saying here? He, He was learning by faith that the Lord was working in his life. And so how can we apply this to our lives? Well, we can, can't we? We can learn by faith because we have hope in Jesus. Our deliverer has come, and he's constantly the one who is shaping us and making us more like himself. As we see the story of Moses here, we recognize God didn't give up on Moses. And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful he hasn't given up on me either. Amen? In 2 Corinthians three eighteen it says, And we all beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So let's be open and yield to the Lord's teaching us and the Lord's shaping us and the Lord's molding us because you can trust him. Why? Because his plan is always better. His plan's always better. So he's transforming you to become more and more like Jesus, hoping Jesus it's a better plan. And then thirdly, we see here, hope in Jesus. He has a plan. It's an active plan. It's a better plan, but also it's a compassionate plan. So now we come to verses 23 through 25. These are my favorite verses in this whole chapter here. It says, During those many years the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. They cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. I'm thankful that the Bible doesn't stop there. The next verses tell us, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. You see, God's plan is always a compassionate plan. Because he's a compassionate God. Here we see that his people, the Bible tells us his people groaned, which means they, they were moaning or sighing or giving sound that expresses intense grief and intense pain. That could be physical or emotional or both. It tells us here that his people cried out for help, which means that they were in bitter distress over what they were facing. The Bible tells us that his people gave a cry for rescue as they were in painful agony because of their slavery. But we see the compassion of God. God heard their groaning. He hears their prayers, and he knew. He knew what these people ultimately would do. Here's the compassionate part, is that God knows that even though they're going to be delivered. He also knows that they're going to rebel. And they're going to grumble. And they're going to complain. And they're going to disobey in the wilderness. And yet, God still delivers his people. And what a compassionate God. Amen? He heard their groaning. But also, he, the Bible says, God remembers his covenant. He remembers his covenant. Now, the, co- the word covenant in the Jesus Storybook Bible says, describes covenant this way. It's a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. I think that's a pretty good definition of a covenant. Amen. And the covenant of God's is God's love relationship with his people. His eternal promise that he will be their God and they will be his people. You see, he is compassionate toward them and he remembers his covenant with his people. So he heard, God heard their groaning. God remembers his covenant. And then it says, God saw them. You see, God sees it all. God sees the whole story, and he shows compassion. And then it says, and God knew. So he was intimately aware of their agony. And because he knows, he acts. You see, friends, God heard, and God remembers, and God sees, and God knows. What does that tell us? That God is the hero of the story. God's a hero of this story. God's the savior, God's the compassionate deliverer, and beloved he still is. So hear me this morning, no matter what you may be facing in your life, some decision you need to make, some thing that you're having to deal with, God knows. And he is a compassionate God and his plan is a compassionate plan for you. Now, I was reading something this week, I was looking at something and uh, I saw where there was this father who was telling this story where he had, had a daughter who was in gymnastics. And while he was at the gymnastics practice, he kept noticing that his daughter kept looking over at him every three to four minutes to see if he was watching her. And as he's watching his daughter in this gymnastics practice, he also noticed that At the same time, he noticed there were a whole lot of other dads in the room with him and how they weren't watching their daughters. They were watching their phones instead. And he then said this. He said, the Lord spoke into his heart and he said to me, Aren't you glad I'm never distracted from seeing you? Friends, aren't you glad that our God is never distracted from seeing us? From knowing us, for remembering us, hearing us. What a compassionate God we have. Amen? Listen, we don't always know what the Lord's doing, but we do know who He is. And He's the God who is compassionate. How do I know that? Because at the right time, God remembered his covenant to make a people from all the nations, and he sent Jesus. So whatever we face in this life, we can look ahead in faith. Because we have hope in Jesus, that he has a plan, and it's a compassionate plan, and he keeps his promise. That he has delivered us just as he would the children of Israel. Not from Egypt, but from sin and hell and death. And he will deliver us to a better land and to a better day. So these last verses of chapter 2, we see the desperate prayers of God's people. And as we see the desperate prayers of God's people, remember we said that they expressed intense grief. And bitter distress and painful agony. You see, apart from a deliverer for them, they were bound to that suffering. And can I tell you something? Apart from our deliverer, so are we. Apart from Jesus, we are enslaved to sorrow and to suffering forever. But hope in Jesus because he has a plan and it's a compassionate plan. So, Pastor, I just want to make sure that I'm clear on all this. Help me to be clear in this passage. So just what is God's plan? You say it's an active plan, it's a better plan, it's a compassionate plan. So what is God's plan? Well, his plan, as we see unfold here, is that God's plan is to redeem and to deliver his people because from these people would come our greater deliverer and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he would, that was his plan. And that he would come and that Jesus would come and that he would die on a cross, delivering us from the penalty and the power and the presence of sin. This was his plan. And that he rose again bodily from the grave and at the cross and the empty tomb, he reveals the glory and the power and the grace of God. That's his plan. And that his plan would be that he sent his Holy Spirit. That's his plan. And his plan would be to redeem the multitudes from every nation and tribe and peoples and and languages. And that was his plan. And that is his plan. And his plan is that these would would tell somebody who would tell somebody who would tell somebody who would tell you. You see, and his plan was to redeem you. To redeem you. And his plan was to fill you with his spirit. And his plan is to use you as his instrument as you point people to Jesus. And his plan is to one day bring you and me and all who belong to him home to heaven. Where we will see him and we will worship him and we will live with him forever. It's his plan. It's an active plan. Because he's active and working. It's a better plan. And it's a compassionate plan. So now there's these to-dos. Number one, yield to God's plan. Yield to God's plan. So if you've never trusted Jesus by faith, his plan is to redeem you. Trust him. Yield to his plan to redeem you. Trust him by faith. Turn from sin to Jesus, trusting Jesus, who is the son of God, who died for you, rose again, Bodily from the grave. Trust him by faith. If you already know Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, yield to God's plan and live by faith. Because he's an active God. He's always working. You can trust him. Amen? So live by, yield to God's plan. Live by faith. You say, but I'm going through such great difficulty. I'm under such great pressure right now. Hey, know that God's hand is on you and you can learn by faith. Because he's molding and shaping you. You can trust him. Right? Learn by faith. Yield to God's plan. Surrender to his plan. You say, but it's so hard. Hey, look ahead by faith. Yield to God's plan because there's a better day coming. Yield to God's plan. Yield to his plan. Friends, I don't know what that looks like for you, but maybe it's like Moses and you need to just quit running. Quit running and sit down and let the Lord have his way in your life. Yield to his plan. Now, I don't know what that looks like for you, but you do. Maybe it's saying yes to teaching a class. Maybe it's going back to school. Maybe it's joining a ministry. Maybe it's going to Dallas to help plant a church there. Maybe it's answering the call to ministry. Maybe it's having that conversation with that person that God's laid on your heart. Yield to his plan. Yield to God's plan. Because he's already at work actively. It's a better plan than yours is. And it's compassionate. And it's for his glory. And it's for your good. Yield to God's plan. That's number one. And number two is there is no number two. All right? Refer back to number one. All right? I just want you to stay with me the whole time, all right? (laughs) Yield to God's plan. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you'd have your way in our hearts and lives. Lord, help us to yield to your plan. Lord, somebody here today just needs to hear that you can be trusted in the midst of what they're going through. We can live by faith, learn by faith, look ahead by faith, because you have a plan that's active. It's always better. It's always compassionate. Father, I pray that you be with us as we come to this moment of invitation. Lord, if there are those who need to come and pray, Lord, for salvation, they'll come and take a pastor by the hand and say, I need Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I thought I knew him, but I have no relationship with him. I pray, Father, for those who know Jesus as Lord and Savior, but need to be revived and refreshed or need, need prayer to yield to your plan. Saying, Lord, I I know I need to yield, but I'm having such a hard time. I keep wanting to do things in my own power. Lord, help me to yield to your plan. To live by faith, to learn by faith, and to look ahead by faith. Father, I pray now that you'd be with us. Have your way in every heart and life. Let us not leave the same way we came in. But simply trusting you more, loving you more, and seeking to be more like you. For your glory, your honor, and praise, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.